Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert Forto and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. Radio Free Palmer .org is our live streaming site, and you can hear all of our episodes over on dogworksradio.com as well as on mushingradio.com. And joining me from Kenai, Alaska, is my co-host, Tony Ryder. Tony, how's it going today? Um, well, I'm just sitting here uh, taking a break from decorating the house for the holidays and trying to stay warm because it's a lovely negative three degrees Fahrenheit at the moment. And I woke up to negative 10. So it's super awesome right now. It is winter in Alaska. We were down around negative 20 here this week. I know it's supposed to warm up by the time that this airs, but in December, it's typically the coldest month of the year up here in Willow, but there's still a lot of dog training going on with the teams. I see them on the parks highway all the time and Things are happening in the mushing world, and we're going to start with that here in just a couple of weeks or so, considering we're recording towards the end of November. We have a sled dog race happening. What is it, and when is it? Um, well, it is being called the season opener. It's out there um, in the Bethel area. Uh, it's the first of the Delta Championship race series that we talked about in the last episode um, that the Kuskokwim 300 uh, race board has started this season. Um, the last information that we got was that it should start um, on December 3rd, but we won't know for 100% sure until Thursday. December 1st, whether or not they'll get to run it, they are still making sure that the trail is set, that it's safe, and that no crazy weather patterns happen uh, between now and then to make it impassable. Um, it's a 32-mile out-and-back route, um, and they said more details will follow once plans are finalized and the trail is marked. So they are open for registration, and we are, I think, officially looking down at the start of the, the racing season. I'm looking forward to that, and for folks that may have not caught the last episode or two, we talked about the uh, Delta Championship Series, I believe is what they're calling it, and this is mm -hmm. the first of many of those races. Does this have one of those outrageous purses or we don't know yet uh you know right now the delta uh championship series instead of like a big cash payout it looks like the payouts are more in dog food um and points and then at the very end of the season i think they're going to tally up the points and declare a winner um but yeah the there's a lot of interesting little uh 
things going on and they keep saying that they're going to add more prizes as the series continues. So a lot of it is still to be announced, um, but the, the big prizes are the dog food and the uh, freight credits uh, with Northern Air Cargo. So a little bit different, but a huge uh, impact, I think, for mushing in that area. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the uh, dog food sponsors is our local Underdog Feeds, who is mm-hmm. owned by J.P. Norris and Kari Skogan. Kari is an Iditarod finisher, and J.P. has a family history that goes as far back, pretty much, as the... Uh, the sport of mushing here in Alaska, way, way back, Earl Norris was was his dad. But I say that because here in Alaska, we have a very interesting dichotomy in terms of being able to get dog food out to where it needs to go. From my understanding, there's just a couple of places in this vast state that have uh, meat and other products besides kibble available and Underdog Feeds is one of those. I know another one is up in Fairbanks at Cold Spot Feed. I'm not even sure if they have anything down in your neck of the woods or all of the mushers driving up here to buy their their uh, meat and, and other products. Do you know? Um, yeah, I think the only thing that you can really get um, sponsorship uh, for meat down here for uh, mushers is if they can get in with one of the uh, commercial fishing uh, canneries. Uh, they can sometimes take uh, old product or um, excess product. And then um, a lot of hunters will donate their freezer burnt uh, wild game to to the different mushers. But I think for the most part, yeah, they're going up to the, the valley or even uh, up further north to, to get those kind of uh, supplies. Yeah, and, and that's why those guys are pivotal for sponsoring this, uh, one of the big sponsors of this Delta Championship Series. I believe they're offering uh, $5,000 or something like that in uh, credit yep. to that feed store, which which can go a long way in terms of uh, feeding your dog's uh, quality kibble and meat. So kudos to them for sure. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Iditarod. On November 30th is the official closing date of the uh, entries without a penalty. And we've talked about that before. Typically after November 30th, there is a really hefty extra fee. I'm not sure exactly what it is this year, but uh, it's 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 up there. And I know just a few people over the last few years have uh, signed up after this deadline. So in terms of Iditarod signups, uh, this is a pivotal week to, uh, to see who's going to be on the list. And there has been some action in the last uh, week or so, at least since we've been on air. What's happening with the roster? Uh, the roster grew by several names since uh, we spoke last. I think uh, the last name added was number 28, Michael Williams Jr. Um, but we've got three more on the list. I think the big uh, big name that everyone's talking about today, it was just added, was Jesse Royer, has entered the chat, and she's thrown her hat in the ring for um, another go uh, Jesse's one of those that she could really, 
she could take control of this. She and she and Mila have been uh, the last few years kind of neck and neck to be the top lady musher, um, filling that hole that Ali Zirkel left uh, several years ago. But yeah, uh, we are now up to 31 names. If they can get two more on the roster, they tie uh, the very first I did a run for a number of entries. And so they'll be tied for lowest number of entries. Right now, they, they're they winning that Red Lantern of sorts. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting year. And folks, stay tuned because we're going to dive into that in just a second. Do you recall who else has signed up in the last couple of weeks? Um, Aaron Peck was also announced as signed up today. And then we've got Greg Vitello. I don't actually know how to say their last name, uh, but they have joined as well. Um, so I believe we have a father-son uh, grouping in this year's race uh, because the other Vitello, I cannot think of his name, uh, is also, Bailey is also uh, running. So uh, we've got we've got family. We got a family uh, race going on. Wow, uh, that that's pretty interesting uh, because I believe they come from the same kennel, and uh, the son of that group was on our show way back in the day. I'm thinking four or five, maybe <laughs> six years ago, and uh, that was before he was uh, really thinking about Iditarod. That's when. He was still running tours in the uh, New Hampshire area. But man, that would be interesting to see two teams fielded if they're both coming from the East Coast. All the logistics that would have to be involved with that and getting, you know, uh, 32, 30 dogs out this way. I'm sure they'll all bring a couple of spares just in case, uh, you know, training runs mm -hmm. or, or whatever. But that's an endeavor, isn't it? Uh, it can be, and um, sometimes we see teams from down in Lower 48, when they come up, they bring their core group of dogs, and then they lease dogs from other kennels that are up here who maybe know the trails a little bit better so that they're not completely lost on Iditarod. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I love to see uh, teams from outside of Alaska come up and, and throw their hat in the ring and maybe play and, and especially when they're, they're new to the race and I'm not as familiar with their mushing style and history. It's kind of neat to see if maybe they'll shake up some predictions that we all have. Right. And the other name that has uh, preliminary put his hat in the ring is Hugh Neff. He says that he always waits until November 30th in honor of his dad. And uh, people have been asking, how come you haven't signed up yet? And I saw a post on his Facebook page uh, yesterday, I believe it is, that he will be signing up tomorrow. So another big name in Iditarod, hopefully we'll be entering the race on the last day of signups. Any other buzz out there in regard to not necessarily the signups, but Iditarod in general uh, for, you know, uh, people talking, news, et cetera, before we jump into our story? Well, the only other one is kind of roster related, but um, the only name that I don't see on here that it was announced uh, last week or two weeks ago, Mitch Seavey announced that he does have a musher uh, for his A-team uh, going into Iditarod, and that will be Iditarod veteran Christian Turner, who uh, has run dogs out of Dallas's kennel in the past, the, the puppy teams. 
Um, but I don't see his name on there yet. And I don't know if that's just, you know, mushers take forever getting their paperwork done or if Iditarod hasn't processed that yet. But I expect that we'll have at least, if Hugh's not the only one signed up, it'll be Christian along with him. So hopefully we're at least tied by the end of, uh, by the end of Wednesday uh, for numbers signed up. And isn't he from Australia or New Zealand or somewhere mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, he's from the the other hemisphere. <laughs> he's he's actually really fun if you've ever gotten to talk to him or or watch him around the dogs. He he brings a, a really great energy to any of the races that he's involved in. So I'm really excited. Um, Danny CV commented on his dad's post saying that Christian is extremely competitive. So it'll be an interesting. Um, a team to watch to see what Christian can do with a team that he isn't necessarily going to have a whole lot of time with, um, but one that's definitely capable of, of going all the way. And I was thinking about uh, what Mitch has posted over the off season, and he kept this pretty close to the vest. Uh, if I recall, he was saying things like, oh, I'm not going to have a team and I did a rod this year or yeah. anything like that. And and then, bam, he posted this picture <laughs> a week or two ago, and he was really holding those cards close to the vest, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm going to guess that part of that was just trying to fight in the right fit because I do know that Grayson was going to um, run dogs out of Mitch's kennel. I'm not sure if that was the A team or not. Um, but with Grayson withdrawing, that that really put uh, Team CV's kennel in a lurch. So, um, yeah, it, it was kind of a surprise even for me. I was not expecting Christian to uh, be one of the ones in the running to to take Mitch's team to Nome. But uh, I'm excited. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's kind of fun to see these teams that uh, from the handler perspective that now they're given the a team as it were we saw um i think jeff king has done that in the last couple of years with uh some of the the longtime handlers that he's had um as he kind of steps away from racing uh again um so it's it's kind of interesting to see and and i'm excited to see that play out yeah me too so we'll see over the next couple of days or so if anybody else uh, throws their hat into the ring otherwise uh, this may be it. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, the 2023 Iditarod plays out. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Palm Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. So let's jump into our story of the evening. We teased this a little bit on our last episode. And I saw on Facebook right after we aired our episode uh, that a pretty long thread developed on Facebook uh, from one of the uh, individual sponsors of a lot of dog teams uh, posted something on one of those groups and it garnered quite a bit of attention, quite a bit of attention based on this, um, this sort of prospect of where 
Iditarod is headed, at least in terms of entries. And I'm interested to flesh this out a little bit. As you mentioned at the top of the show, Tony, that uh, currently we are in the running for Iditarod to have the lowest amount of entries ever compared to uh, the first Iditarod, which I believe you said had 32 and we're currently sitting at 30. So let's just jump right into this. What are your thoughts? How about you go first on <laughs> what is the reasoning behind the low amount of entries? And you can kind of list them all out at once if you want. We can talk about them after I say mine, if they're any different than yours or whatever you would like to do. Sure. Um, so when I was at the uh, Iditarod volunteer um, picnic, uh, which is the first day of signups for mushers as well, the talk was how few mushers were, were in attendance um, and then e how even fewer had signed up. And the mushers that were there that aren't signed up, uh, still aren't signed up, all of, all of what I kept hearing in my little eavesdropping wallflower um, way that I do was that the economy something it was it had to do with finances everyone was still very unsure back in June how they were going to afford just running a kennel without the races being entered um, and so I think that is probably the number one um, reason for a lot of teams to have either waited so long to sign up or to not sign up at all um, that was one of the big things with a lot of the mushers jumping in on that thread on Facebook. Um, they actually showed the math of what it cost just a bag of dog food for their team last year versus this year. And it's an exponential jump for most of them. So that alone really hinders a race that costs tens of thousands of dollars to run. And when you are running it and knowing that you are not going to get anything back other than a great time, adventure, and a lot of stories and probably a lot of frostbite, which could potentially even be more money out of your pocket when you have to go to the doctor and, and get looked at. But, um, you know, it's just not cost effective to keep running that every year if you're not seeing your cost of living or, or your expenses uh, leveling out in that same way. Um, so I think that's the big thing. I know that a lot of fans assume that it has to do with Iditarod politics. I think that maybe a few mushers, that might be one of their reasons, but I would argue that I have not seen even one musher this year um, suggest that that's why they're not running is that they're upset with Iditarod except for maybe Michelle Phil Phillips who said at the end of last year's race she's never running Iditarod again um, I, I just don't see that and with the COVID vaccination restriction lifted we're seeing a couple of mushers that didn't run last year come back so it, I don't think that that's the big thing. I think it's really financial and just the uncertainty of the future. Yeah. And I know that uh, Thomas Werner, uh, one of the past Iditarod champions mm -hmm. uh, quoted or, or said on that, on that particular thread that he will be back next year. And it all had to do with finances for him. He said he had to save yeah. his money 
uh, because uh, finances are not what they used to be. And that, that could be sponsorships or whatever, but he travels over from uh, Europe to, uh, to run the race. Mm-hmm. Some of the other things that came up, uh, aside from money, and, and the money is, is definitely a big one, even though we're not an Iditarod team, uh, our Kindle mm-hmm. expenses has, has really shot up over the last year or so in terms of kibble and gas and straw and everything. That's a big one. Some of the other things are uh, folks are saying that uh, it, it's changing of the guard. And I remember when Alex and okay. I were on that uh, this was one of our sort of state of mushing topics that uh, that we did every year. And it's true. A lot of the old timers are, are aging out. Uh, we talked just earlier mm-hmm. about Jeff King not running and Mitch Seavey yep. and, you know, you, uh, Martin Booser, I believe, is in it. You know, he's another one of those old nope. school. He's not. He's not <laughs> nope. in it. No, he's not. We don't. We only have one Iditarod champion on the roster right now, and it's Brent Seth. Oh, so it, it is Brent. So all of the yep. old timers, <laughs> meaning uh, uh, pre-2000, uh, are, are not running, I guess, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, champions. So that is one thing, sort of the aging out. And, and that's an interesting topic because if you're aging out and you don't have handlers, as you mentioned with Mitch's kennel and Christian mm-hmm. Turner, if you don't have handlers and you don't have lease teams, and we don't see a lot of lease teams anymore, that was a big deal five or six years ago, and you don't have kids that are taking the reins, there really is nothing left with your kennel if you're aging out. I'm thinking Jim Lanier is a perfect example of that. He wants to be involved, but, you know, he, he's uh, he's past his prime. And unless he has somebody running his dogs, he cannot enter a race with his kennel. Another one is um, sort of the race itself. And this is an interesting one because mm-hmm. this has been talked about for a long time about it just being too fast and, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. too competitive. And they're, they're always talking about a trail class or kind of an adventure class. And, and I know we talked about mm-hmm. that years ago about, uh, you, you know, like you said, Tony, if you're, if you're not going to win anything, uh, what is the point unless it's just purely for adventure? And if it is purely for adventure, why don't they have a class for that? That would be interesting to have sort of that trail class or sort of that can or, or, you know, pro-am series type deal. So that could be another one. Another one is travel restrictions. And a lot of that has eased up Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of being able to cross over the border. I don't think there's any restrictions currently in terms of the Canadian border like it has been for the last couple of years. That's another one. And of course, climate could be one of them. Uh, climate change is a big deal, but, uh, on that same thread, and there was hundreds of comments on this thread, guys. So this is, this isn't a 10 post (laughs) comment. Uh, they said that climate isn't a big deal in the lower 48 and they're not seeing a lot of, uh, fluctuation and entries down there at these, uh, bigger mid distance races like the bear grease and the race to the sky and the can-am and, and races like that. So those are some of them. And then as you mentioned, politics, I think politics is everywhere in everything. And that could be a little bit of it. But um, it's just sort of interesting to see how different it is compared to 
pre-COVID times, and, and I don't have the numbers in mm-hmm. front of me, but I do not recall <laughs> what the entries were in 2020. Now, 2021 was an entirely different animal uh, with the uh, different uh, race route and all that. And 2022 had a decent amount of mushers enrolled. So you said that uh, that money is the big one. Is that uh, sort of your your opinion with that? Is that what you're going with? Or do you think it's something else entirely? Oh, I, I think, uh, you know, I've been saying that since June that I, I'm going to go with what I've heard come from different kennels is it's financial. Um, there are more and more kennels uh, going up for sale as families cannot afford to have a full racing kennel. You know, they might keep a few dogs for a recreational team, but they're getting out of mushing uh, as far as racing. And it all comes down to finances. Uh, In most cases, they cannot um, sustain their family, much less a kennel uh, in the economy right now. Um, And we've seen that, I think, a couple of other times in the last 50 years of, um, the the Iditarod created mushing race scene, um, which is very different than sprint racing, which doesn't seem to have this problem. But they too had a little bit. I mean, there were a few years that Ferrandi wasn't sure that they were going to have their races anymore because of lack of interest in entries, and it was a lull for a few years, and it's it's growing again. So I think it's it's financial. It's just a cycle, like you said, with the changing of the guard. Um, and that's coming at a at a time where they're coming together. It's just the wrong time for the changing of the guard when you when we have this really crazy uh, economic whatever we're in right now. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty that I think you know that four thousand dollar entry fee, that twenty thousand uh, dollars that we hear most kennels banter around with. Um, the average of what it costs just to get to the starting line. Um, you know, it's probably not 20,000 anymore. It's at least 30,000 now. And, and that's probably being uh, a little, you know, <laughs> hopeful that it's only grown by 10,000 towards the end of the, the season. But it, I don't know what to expect in the future. You know, I, I want to believe in Danny CV posted a few years back, I believe, during the whole uh, thing around 17 and 18 when a few mushers decided to boycott the race because of what happened with Dallas's team and everything, which I'm looking at those numbers and there there were five less teams in 18 than there were in 17. So the boycott worked really well. Um, but, you know, uh, I believe Danny wrote right around that time that the Iditarod will always be here. Will it look like what we know of it today? Probably not, but there are a lot of factors that we're seeing come into play. Um, I think we'd have to wait a couple more years before we could really push the panic button on Iditarod. I'm looking though at the numbers. I actually sat during my lunch break yesterday and I counted out all of the rosters to see um, how many teams started each year of the last 50 years (laughs) because I have no life. Um, Our biggest number was 96 and that was back in 2008. But everyone keeps saying that, you know, we've had all of these years of 80 and 90 uh, 
team rosters. And it's really not that way, guys. If you look all the way back, aside from a few years where we had 83, 96, like I said, being the biggest one, you're looking at a roster of about 65 to 70 teams if we're going to average it out. I'm not a mathematician, but I'm just going from the years that I was alive. It it looks like 65 was probably going to be your average number from like 1990 to now. So, so, so let me let me jump in. Smaller, but I don't think I don't think it's it's too big to panic just yet. Let me jump in with that. Uh, we talked about the numbers in 2020, and you, you I guess, mm-hmm. have the uh, the data there. What was the <laughs> what was the what were the entries in 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22? Okay, so for 2018, which was the year that we had the kerfluffle of Musher X and then Wade Mars got in the middle of it. That came to 67 teams that started the race. Uh, 19 dropped to 52. We saw a little bit of a, an uptick in 20 with 57. Of course, we saw a lot of uh, scratches and late withdrawals with that because of the COVID thing. Um, and then the COVID Iditarod, which was 2021, had 46 teams uh, start uh, in, oh, where was it? It was at Dushka Landing. Uh, we didn't get to start in Anchorage. And then last year we had 49 teams. So um, it, it has been on a downward tick, but I don't know that we can count the last couple of years with the COVID stuff. So um yeah, I mean, we went from 57 to 32 here this year, if you if you really want to count it that way. So you may have answered my next question uh, <laughs> just a second ago, and you said that we may have to wait a couple of years to see what happens. So my question on the list was, what do you think is going to happen in the next uh, two, five, ten years? I know we talked about sort of that uh, different classes and a different look. But as a follower of Iditarod your whole life, what do you see happening in the next five years or so if you if you could sort of see into the future? Um, well, I want to remain positive and not just because I've been asked to by by people who don't like to think of, of it as a negative. Um, you know, I want to believe that this is an anomaly. Uh, because of all of the reasons we've listed. Um, But we also don't know what the economic future is for the nation and the world either. So um, I think, if anything, we need to see Iditarod restructure a little bit. They posted today during Giving Tuesday that it costs $5 million to run the race, and they did a very brief breakdown that didn't really answer how they got to the $5 million number, but I'm sure that there's a lot of costs that they just didn't want to list in an Instagram post. Um, but with that $5 million, the purse is only about 500000 if you count all of the payouts. Um, the purse is getting smaller. The entry fee is still very high. Joe Reddington started this race to encourage those village teams and kennels to survive and exist. I don't see how we're doing that and sticking with the original reason for this race. 
when you cannot afford to come from Western Alaska and Bush Alaska to the starting line, much less go all the way to Nome. Um, I think that I did, you know, there have been other mushers who are no longer running the race. They may have family members running the race. They may have friends running the race. They might be volunteering themselves, but they're not running the race and haven't for a while. But they've come up with ideas, like you said, with the different classes, um, you know, making a program that encourages uh, village teams, um, rural teams a little bit more. It's a whole lot easier to get stuff, like you said, on the road system than it is out to Bethel and Kotzebue and, and all points in between there. I think that that's something that they need to look into, especially I think if the Delta Championship Series takes off like I expect it to, um, Iditarod should really look at that. And I, I would assume that they would because they, they, they watch all of this stuff. They, they're well aware. They run in the same circles. Um, if that takes off, I think they should – you know, they won't be the pioneer of the idea anymore, but they could probably throw a little money into that as well and really grow that program um, because it, it's becoming more and more a white man sport, which is all well and good, but we're missing a lot of names from rural Alaska that they're way too young to say that they're retiring. So I, I think they really need to look at that and, and ask those questions as to how can we, because the mushers are there. We see it all over social media. There's a lot of mushers my age and younger. Why aren't they signing up? I don't know. Yeah, and and that was sort of my point and my pushback a little bit. If, if folks are aging out and if it costs so much, uh, if we think about a five-year plan, I don't know if there's enough I guess I would say talent out there to, to field a larger field than what they have right now, because you just can't jump into this. You can't say mm -hmm. I'm going to run Iditarod right now, November uh, 2022 and have a very competitive team without number one, a heck mm -hmm. of a lot of money. Number two, the, mm -hmm. the, the place to, to train and run. So unless you're in rural someplace, whether it be Alaska or mm -hmm. some other place, it's just not something you can do uh, even in the suburbs, unless you have, you know, uh, the ability. And number three, uh, the, the, uh, the finances and everything that go with that. Mm -hmm. I think we may be in a long uh, haul for this. I don't think that mm -hmm. it's going to be something that, that is going to happen in five years. It, it's very difficult to get to the starting line and be competitive in two, three, mm -hmm. or four years if you're starting from scratch, where anybody over this this 30-plus teams would need to do. You know, uh, mm -hmm. you, you can't take a recreational team with six dogs that lives in uh, northern Wisconsin, expect to come up here in 2024 and run the race if you don't have some type of other support, whether you're using dogs from another kennel right. or leasing a team or whatever. And then yep. along with that, uh, with, with finances and everything else, you had mentioned that Iditarod has a budget of about $5 million and $500,000 of that is the purse. And with a Field of 30 teams, very quick math, at $4,000 a piece for entry. That's only $120,000 in entries. Mm -hmm. 
So that's only about a third or a little bit less of the purse itself is uh, is taken up by entries. And we didn't even mention on our reasons for um, the the troubles with the race, and that is the the lack of big time sponsors. You know, you had mentioned two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. There was some huge sponsors back then, uh, yeah. Cabela's and, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. who are the others? Timberland and, and, and businesses that you don't even hear about much anymore were, <laughs> were the title sponsors. And those folks are not around anymore. But it's interesting that a lot of these smaller sponsors have pulled out. And some of these Alaskan sponsors have come together. I'm thinking of North Rim mm-hmm. Bank and things like that. Yep. But those guys just don't have the money to throw around like like a Cabela's or a Budweiser or a Coca-Cola or an IAMS or you can Uber, whoever is the, the parent company of that. Mm-hmm. Unless we have one of those come up, I think that we're in for a long struggle. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, yeah, I, uh, probably. Um, I don't want to agree, but I think I have to agree. Um, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, we don't have the pickup truck anymore, which was always such a huge thing. I still don't understand why we don't have Kendall Ford or somebody else jumping into that. Um, I don't know the politics there. Maybe they've gotten the same thing from their parent companies that, Uh, Chrysler Dodge, Anchorage Chrysler Dodge did a few years ago where it was like, look, you either lose your franchise or you stop supporting the race. Um, You know, it still boggles my mind that Cabela's is no longer a part of Iditarod. I don't know what really started that. Um, It's not like they're going to kowtow to the animal rights groups because that seems a little hypocritical considering they've got dead animals all over their stores in really cool dioramas. I'm not judging. I, I go in there often, sometimes not even forced because I'm with my dad, uh, <laughs> just to go look at the dioramas. But, um, you know, it still boggles my mind that they're, that they're no longer sponsoring. They didn't, they didn't just pull out of sponsoring Iditarod. They stopped sponsoring big name mushers too. So I, I don't understand that. I don't know what happened there. Um, and we've seen a lot of others. Exxon Mobil, really, you think you're going to save face by not sponsoring an, an Alaskan mainstay? But yeah, I mean, I could I could go on and on about how frustrating some of these sponsors dropping. Um, but like you said, Northern Bank uh, came in. Um, you know, other sponsors that were told by their parent companies to stop, they found workarounds. Um, to still continue to support the race, just maybe not as a title sponsor. So I'm I'm sure we don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes, and I'm probably going to get notes about that for speculating. So I'm just saying this as a fan who does not know what all is going on, and I am not a financial expert, and I don't know how to run a big race. I get that. But like you said, it, it does. It, if you don't have that, it, it just in, I mean, that's what the fans are asking for. Whether or not I agree with it, those questions are being asked. They are being asked quite often. And I think when a sponsor is asking it on social media, even if it's just to get attention or whatever you want to call it, the race needs to answer. And, and maybe they are reaching out to those sponsors 
uh, you know, privately, which I think those questions maybe would be better to be asked in private in, in those situations. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's a little worrisome, but we worried back in 2008, 2009, when Cabela's pulled out and others pulled out, Timberland pulled out in the nineties. So, I mean, it, it's, it's not as easy, I think, of a rebound as what it was in the 90s and 2000s. Um, you know, it's it's a new era all the way around. Uh, thank you, social media. Um, I don't know. I, all of this double speak just to say, yeah, I, I think that without some significant changes, um, I did or I could see really small rosters and they could be looking at something similar to what the Yukon Quest is dealing with right now. So uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I really hope that we still go from Anchorage to Nome uh, for another 50 years. I won't be alive then, but hopefully, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it it's going to look different. It's going to have to look different. The terrain is making it a little more difficult to get to Nome too. So Things are going to change, and I think the people and the powers that be, um, I, I would hope that they're aware of it, and I would hope that they would be willing to listen to the ideas that others are giving. Not my ideas, because my ideas are wrong, but other ideas. So very quickly, my ideas, and we've talked about this throughout, I think in the next five years or so, we're going to see that uh, changed format. We're going to see more of a competitive versus uh, adventure slash amateur class. I think we will see that in the next five years or so-ish. I think we will remain at uh, sort of uh, this this middle ground of, of entries, around 30 or 40 or so. I think that truly there just is not the kennels that there used to be even five or ten years ago. And then lastly, I think that they're really going to struggle with sponsorship because of the closed-mindedness that they have with PR. And I don't mind saying that. Uh, I know I'm a little bit more vocal (laughs) about it than you are. And I say that because as a sponsor, whether you're sponsoring an individual team or the entire race, there has to be a return on the investment. Unless you're just uh, a, a wealthy billionaire who owns a social media company that we're all a part of, and you're throwing money around, uh, there has to be a return. And the Iditarod does not really provide that return. Outside of uh, the fans that a big majority of them listen to this podcast, meaning thousands of people every week are listening to our podcast, outside of this very small niche fandom, there's not a lot of eyes on Iditarod. And you can ask people throughout the country, uh, if, if they follow, I did a rod or whatever. I, I tell people all the time, Tony, I'm a dog musher. And the first thing that they say is, Oh, I used to watch snow dogs when I was a kid. They don't say anything mm-hmm. about, I did a rod. They don't say anything about the Yukon quest. It's snow dogs. That's what the equation mm-hmm. equation of uh, sled dogs and and uh, mushing is all about. It's, it's the movies. It's I've not... never even seen snow dogs. Oh. How crazy is that? Uh, we have we have to watch. We have to watch and review then. So so yeah. So I think that's where we're sort of seeing things pan out. And and my last part to that is I don't think it's wrong to have 
uh, a race like the Yukon Quest. You don't need to be the mm-hmm. granddaddy of everything. If the Quest can get their right. their their uh, their stuff in gear, so to speak, I think that they <laughs> can do a great job with what they have. And they've always had twenty or twenty five mushers in their field and you know it's it's uh it it mm-hmm. was a thousand mile race too and they they pulled it off with i would imagine a very uh smaller budget than i did a rod head mm-hmm. that's my points on this tony i'm sure that our fans and and naysayers <laughs> on social media have their thoughts let us know what you think uh, you can follow us on social media how can folks find you tony um, I'm still on Twitter. I haven't given up on it yet. So I'm at Tony Shell AK on Twitter. I'm at Tony Shell on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Tony Ryder. Uh, but I am not taking any more friend requests. So just hit that follow button. Anything mushing related, I make public so that we can all talk about it. And then you can find me at my blog at writersblock.com. And you can find me at Robert Forto, F-O-R-T-O, on all social media. And you can follow this show on uh, First Paw Media on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. Otherwise, uh, if you're listening to this show right now, you can go on over to our website. And all these links that we just said are on the show notes page. So you don't have to write anything down as you're listening. Tony, it was a pleasure having you on. I know we went a little bit over. So if you're listening on the radio, (laughs) you missed out on a big portion of this podcast. So I suggest you subscribe and, and listen to our episodes all the way through. My last thing, Tony, is you mentioned before the, uh, recording uh, th- for this session that you're interested in going to a once a week schedule once the race season kicks off. Now I'm going to put you on the hot speed seat a little bit <laughs> because you said the mushing season starts this coming weekend. What do you want to tell mm-hmm. your fans about switching over from biweekly to weekly? And when do you want that to happen? I'd like to see it. You know, if, if we want to go this next weekend, I'm all for it. Um, I, I don't know that they're doing GPS though. And I think we should probably wait until it's that first race with GPS. So we actually know what's going on. Um, but I, I'm, I'm up for it. Whenever anybody wants to start talking dog mushing all week long, I'm, I'm all for it. So let's do this fans that are listening. (laughs) We are going to go to a weekly broadcast starting the first week of January. That is the kickoff to some of these big races, starting with the Connect 200 and the Cusco 300 and the Copper Basin and everything in between will happen <laughs> in January because there's a little bit of a lull, just like in every sport, mm-hmm. uh, between uh, mid-December and the first of the year for that holiday break. So does that sound like a plan? Yep. I love that plan. All right, guys. Let us know in the comments what you think about our discussion tonight on the future of Iditarod and the sport of mushing. We would love to hear. And with that, we will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. 
If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your hosts are Alex Stein and Robert Forto. Our producer is Robert Forto, created for Dog Works Radio.